Welcome back to the Cyclotist Podcast, everybody. It's the Monday before the Tour de France. It is Monday, June 27th, and the race is going to kick off on Friday in Copenhagen. We've got our team on the ground already. You guys actually literally just got to your Airbnb there in Copenhagen. How is it, Johnny? Good afternoon, Kaylee. <laughs> As I've just Googled, they say over here. I'm good. It's nice over here. Very humid. We're in a bit of a zany, hippie Airbnb. Um, we've already had a freak thunderstorm. Everything's looking up. It wasn't even looking down to look up. It's, it's going good from the word go. That's all it is. I don't know. Tra- <laughs> traveling in the age of, of COVID and Brexit just makes everything sort of perilous until you actually arrive at your final destination you know fair enough fair enough but you guys did make it you did make it you just heard shoddy dave there how are you shoddy very good long journey myself from bayon here i won't go into it but it's been a angle what time is it now eight o'clock so an 11 hour journey oof yeah oof. i left yesterday <laughs> <laughs> it's like top trumps <laughs> and there's ronan how are you ronan i'm good yeah Tired and, according to my whip, very, very unrecovered, deep, deep in the red. <laughs> Already. That's, that's what happens when you live too far away from everywhere. Whoop is not sponsoring today's episode, so you do not have to mention them. Just no, just I know. So I, know. I just checked it out. We're going to get into, well, today's the, today's the Tour de France preview episode. Today is the four of us sitting around. We've done a, a fair amount of digging into what this Tour de France is going to look like. We have talked about the contenders. We've we've <laughs> Johnny's making a face. You did some digging, Johnny. You did the whole you did the whole route preview. What are you talking about? Not not you to, the entire thing end to end. Not to dob shot in, but he just mouthed at me. Have we? <laughs> and I was I, I was given a reassuring nod of my head. Sorry, Dave. I believe in us. I believe in us. We're gonna yeah we're gonna talk about it tip to tail. What 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 the race kicks off with when we think the key moments are going to come. Who will be in contention, and then some storylines that just popped up, actually most of them just popped up this morning or sometime during the European day, including the fact that Mark Cavendish, at least as of recording time, will not be on the start line in Copenhagen. Neither will Sam Bennett, actually. So the sprints are shaping up to be quite interesting, I think, this July. We're gonna get into it. Before I move on, though, we do, we do, we do have ad copy from the winner of our Giro d'Italia fantasy competition. Uh, of course, the 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 grand prize for that was you get your own ad on the podcast, read out by none other than Shoddy Dave. We do have ad copy for that, but I have not actually had a chance to take a good look at it yet. So you'll hear that sometime in the next couple of days. If you haven't already signed up. For the Tour de France fantasy competition over at Cycling Tips. Sorry, Tour de Fantasy. I don't think we're allowed to call it a Tour de France fantasy competition due to trademark or something. Anyway, the big yellow fantasy competition in July. Uh, make sure you head over to cyclingtips.com and sign up for that. And make sure while you do that you drop yourself into the podcast mini league because that way you will be in with a shot of the same fantastic grand prize, which is Shoddy Dave reading out your ad on the Cycling Tips podcast for whatever you want. Are you sure it just doesn't put more people off than actually encourages people to... (laughs) I believe in the desire for some random ad and you reading it, Shoddy, I believe. (laughs) It makes me want to win. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. It's, It's like the only reason why I really play. Let's get into today's episode. Now... The route, it is a good one. It obviously starts in Denmark. That is where the three of you are right now. I come over in about a week, actually exactly a week, when the race hits France. It will hit France up north. Head over to the coast briefly before coming back and doing that Roubaix stage that we've talked about a number of times, making its way south through the Planche de Belfi, into the Alps, into the Pyrenees, and up to Paris. That is the direction of the race this year. It is a 
clockwise circle, mostly around France. And the first week, as always, is rife with difficulty. Not necessarily big GC tests, but a number of very tricky stages that could catch riders out. So let's start, let's start with Copenhagen. The race kicks off with a time trial. Ronan, as our resident time trial nerd, can you tell me about it? I can tell you that it's uh, pretty much entirely flat. Uh, it's 13.2 kilometers in length. Uh, should be, you know, pretty pretty fast opening time trial, but longer than a, a prologue. It is actually a proper time trial stage. Um, and yeah, some of the favorites that we were expecting to contend for victory there, uh, well, some like Rohan Dennis aren't even lining up. Others like Philippe Bogana aren't even confirmed. But I think Denmark in particular, it's the first stage that they can look towards and perhaps have a, a home favorite. Uh, a home favorite who I've seen on a box of cereal in one of the local shops here today. Casper <laughs> <laughs> Hasgreen uh, will surely be gunning for, for the time trial. But um, as for the actual course, we haven't, haven't just haven't got here today, haven't actually seen the course on the ground yet. So can't comment too much as to how technical it is. But there, there's a Velo Club member who I think is a local there who, who sent some some insider information through via the Velo Club Slack. And he said that it's 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 quite technical that I mean, any sort of city circuit is sort of going to be by default, right? I mean, even if there's not a whole lot of a ton of corners or any climbs or descents or anything to speak of, you're just going to have road furniture and, you know, tram tracks and all sorts of stuff in the way that is probably going to make this a relative relatively technical route. Uh, but I think due to the length, like you said there, Ronan, we're, we're kind of looking at, at real-time trial specialists here, right? I mean, it's not prologue length. We're not going to see a sprinter surprise because he has massive five-minute power. It's going to be for the time trials, right? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I think the last time trial we've seen like this is probably the, the first stage of the Giro last year, uh, which, of course, uh, Philippe Bogana sort of cruised home to victory. In, and if he lines up, he probably will have to start for the favorite. And that's exactly the kind of you know time trial we're looking at it's just perfect sort of distance for him a pure time trial is power course uh and again you know as you said it will be technical and one of the sort of things i noticed driving here today from the airport was just how kind of insane it is for a non-local to drive <laughs> around these streets it's uh granted there will be you know obviously the route will be uh, barricaded or fenced off or whatever you want to call it and you know the riders will only have the course to follow but there's just there's there's like a uh, road furniture everywhere there's raised islands there's raised islands that aren't quite raised enough to be raised islands and there's uh, uh, instead of having white lines they seem to have used bricks and larger uh pavement and stuff in places and it just yeah it, if, if the time drill course has anything like the roads that i had to drive on today in the 10 minute drive from the airport it's it's going to be one that um well let's just hope it's dry and we put it that way it's uh, it kind of reminds me of where was it if in germany five or six years ago that valverde had his his crash in the opening time trial it was a wet street dusseldorf yeah if it's wet you know touch wood we don't see anything like that again but it, it it's certainly is the sort of thing you could you could see happening on these sorts of streets there's a whole host of Cargo bikes have got to watch out for as well, isn't there? <laughs> <There's> Dodging them. <laughs> I got bad news for you, which is that currently, granted, we are we are, you know, better part of a week away here. Currently, eighty percent chance of rain at three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. I I will say there was an eighty percent chance of rain for this evening, and all day I was thinking there's no chance it's going to be rain this evening, and then all of a sudden there was rain and a huge thunderstorm. <laughs> so, seems like it's par for the course in, in these parts at the moment. There was a time trial that we wrote about last week. Miguel Enderheim was expected to dominate the prologue one year, and it was dry for the early runners and bucketed down for the late runners, and all the GC favourites lost 30 seconds straight out of the gates because the course is so wet. It was a city centre course also, so that, that could be something to look for in this time trial. If All you really want is that all the riders get the same conditions, but it rarely happens that way. Well, and, and sometimes teams will do things like they'll reverse the order of their team and, and they'll try to stick a, a GC rider early, particularly, you know, Tade Pogacar has to go last, right? But the rest of them can kind of choose. Uh, and you may see you may see riders just, just looking at the weather and, and trying to slide in, in an earlier slot, for example. It will be interesting. It will be potentially treacherous, but 
it's not going to make or break this Tour de France. Uh, neither will stage two in all likelihood, but we could see we could see some more pretty interesting racing, largely because of the giant bridge that comes at the end of it. Johnny, what what is this thing? First of all, it's not a kilometer off the ground. Uh, yeah, like, that was... like like you and I both initially wrote. <laughs> you actually wrote it weirdly. You wrote it in feet. And I went and did the conversion when I was subbing your story, and it just didn't even occur to me that a bridge a kilometer off the ground would yeah. make a whole lot of sense. It's 18 kilometers long, I believe, and it's 65 meters off the ground, but then the tops of the bridge are 250 meters off the ground. So that's where the confusion came from. For <laughs> only, only myself and Kaylee, everyone else would have read that and been like, obviously that's not how it works. But yeah, if you look at the, the profile, it looks like a... A standard sprint day at the Tour de France, but what the profile doesn't account for is this huge whopping great bridge. And there should be a fair amount of wind there, apparently, regardless of what the weather is like. So, And, and I think as you come off the bridge, the finish line is basically there. So it's going to be a nervy start. Anything could happen, as kind of has dictated the first few days of the Tour the past couple of years. Uh, can you say it's not going to make or break the race, but... I'd certainly think there's going to be a lot of nervousness about this stage and a lot of fighting for position and it, it you know nobody will win the tour here but certainly it could be riders that lose the tour here to use that old cliche I, yeah i think you have to put a euro in the bin now uh, <laughs> 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 what other way could i say that <laughs> i'm pretty sure so, so here's what we're going to do is every time one of us says that exact thing which will happen many times over the course of this tour de france we have to donate one dollar to let's say well it's it's a it's a charity of our listeners choice so you know shoot us your favorite charity and at the end of this at the end of this race could be dozens of dollars to be perfectly, perfectly honest anyway ronan is already down one euro I, I i regret to tell you flying in you actually see the bridge it's and it is immense and it just got me thinking of admittedly it's a lot longer than the bridge that spans from, I think it's Brittany down to the Vendee. That was used many, many years ago uh, for a team time trial at the Tour de France where, if I remember rightly, David Miller sat on the front for Cofidis and destroyed his team there. But yeah, like it, if it's going to be windy, it's going to be absolutely horrible across there. Wet, windy. It'll and be, a f- a, yeah, a real grim section of the race for sure <laughs> uh, I was just going to say and if it's one day on the bridge it'll, that means it's going to be one day for the 130k yeah. before that all along the coast as well so yes the bridge you know is what everybody is talking about and that is the place that you could lose the Tour de France but <laughs> two dollars <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say the whole thing but the 130k before that will be equally as sketchy I think this place is just flat. If it's windy, it's just going to be horrible no matter what. <laughs> On every, all the three stages. So looking at the forecast right this second, again, we're, we're a fair ways out. But, you know, we're looking at winds of 11 to 12 miles per hour. What's that? That's like 18, 20 kilometers per hour-ish. 18, I think 18 kilometers per hour is about right there. So not nothing, but not crazy either. Granted, when you get out onto this bridge, uh, 65 meters off of the water, it could be significantly higher than that. Th- those numbers are for somewhere along the coast that I have selected here. Anyway, the, the, the long story short here is the first couple days in Denmark could could present quite a challenge for the GC riders. Not guaranteed, of course. You could have super calm days and we could just have a couple sprint stages, which frankly is, is the way that a lot of Tour de France's start anyway. And Tours de France, I should say, start anyway. And not the worst thing in the world. We don't really love to see, uh, well, bad luck and things play such a role so early in a Grand Tour. We don't want to lose Roglic on, on sta- stage two or something like that. But the potential for some chaos is absolutely there. Stage three, Johnny, anything of note here? Or is it kind of calm back down a little bit? Um, calms down a bit. We head south. We get very close to Germany. It's almost they make. I think just before they hit the border, they just swing a left onto a little, a little bit that juts out. Um, Eventually, 
Is that is that so the Brits? You. Is that is that, is that so the Brits don't have to get their passport stamped yeah, the no, second time? After after Brexit, I'm only allowed to use one syllable words. Um, so so this could be a long, uh, well, a short podcast. Um, yeah. So another another sprint day for our final day in Denmark. Um, we'll get on, you know, we'll, we'll get onto the contenders later. But all, already we'll have we'll have one winner from the sprints and many losers. So that sort of soap opera will. We'll play out and hopefully hopefully we'll have Mark Cavendish there just to make it all a bit juicier, but probably not. <laughs> we'll get into the we'll get into the CAD situation at the end of the show today. Uh, we can kind of skip ahead a little bit here. Uh, stage four, which is when they get back onto the mainland, is it's a potentially inter- interesting stage, Dunkirk to Calais. It has a series of cat fours, including one that comes about 10K from the finish line. So it, it's one of those stages which could kind of go either direction, actually. Like, it, it probably could and should be a sprint stage, but based off what we've seen so far this year, and, and you know, that story that Ronan, you wrote not too long ago after the Giro, it's the kind of stage that could actually be a, a breakaway uh, in modern cycling. I, I think 10 years ago, you would have said, this is almost certainly, the, you know, the sprinters will be able to pull this back together. Maybe you lose a couple of them, but you mostly pull it back together. But these days, a little bit trickier to to guess stage five is the Roubaix stage. Let's, let's dig into this one a little bit. We've got 153 kilometers starts in Lille stops right before the Arenberg, which is exactly where it stopped last time uh, it finished in this, in this region. Yeah. It's, yeah. But like, can you, can you imagine putting the finish line at the end of the Arenberg? How, how insane, like, how insane like that would be? Having the finish in Paris, but not going around the Champs-Élysées. Yeah, I don't. I it would be it'd be amazing, right? It'd be amazing. But at the same time, you know, you've in regular Paris Roubaix, all the riders signed up for that. That's what they intended to do. And you guys have all like, you've ridden the, the, the Roubaix cobbles. You know that this is like this is not this is not child's play. This is not, this is not just show up and give it a go kind of stuff. I I'm okay with the Roubaix stage not including the Arenberg personally, but nonetheless it does include 11 other sectors. The first sector actually was just reversed this week because uh some new like some sort of traffic calming device on the entrance, the former entrance to it, and basically they were worried that because it was the first sector they'd be going 70 kilometers an hour as a peloton or whatever and and would run into this road furniture and it'd be a disaster so they, they actually reversed the first sector but the rest remain unchanged and that that change shouldn't really have any impact on the end result we hit some some sort of relatively famous sectors you've got the warlang sector right near the end you've got wallers right near the end so it will be a, an extremely difficult day for everybody involved. And in particular, if we see, like we did in 2014, when Vincenzo Nibli had such a good ride, if we see some rain, it could just be absolute chaos once again. Am I right in saying there's about 15 kilometers in total of cobblestones? That's quite a lot out of a 155-kilometer stage. Yeah, it's going to be short and fast and yeah. really hard, I think. As, we, as we've seen, we've seen a, plen- a few riders out testing them early on in the season. So uh, it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who gets through knowing how to ride him and who doesn't get through particularly well. We did see, we, we saw Roglic and Pogacar both do a bit of cobbles this spring. Uh, no cobble wobble, I think was Johnny's headline after Roglic had a, a, actually a very impressive day out on the cobblestones mm. in March or so. Uh, I think he is prepared. Like I said, his team is prepared. I think at this point, They've included Roubaix cobblestone sort of enough in recent years that the teams are better able to cope with it. I think that the equipment has gotten a lot better, and so that will help every single rider cope with it a little bit better. So I'm not sure that we'll see the sort of massive time gaps that that we may have expected when they sort of first started including these 10 years ago. Um, Or I should should reintroduce them about 10 years ago. But nonetheless, there's there's always the chance of just something going wrong on the cobblestones. I think I think it's just I, th- I think it's actually going to just add into the nervousness of the entire first week because you know those stages in Denmark even the ones that don't don't have the huge bridges on them <laughs> they're going to be uh, you know if the roads that I've seen flying in today are anything to judge by they're going to be nervous they're small roads it's going to be fast it's pan flat you know speeds will be up because it's the first week they Tour de France anyway then we're straight into you know the northwestern coast of France which is traditionally a 
you know chaotic enough place to race a bike also we've got a stage in in belgium that will be hotly contested and we've got a roubaix stage with cobbles and the first week of the tour in a normal year is chaotic enough for the for the contenders to get through it that that's their biggest challenge is just getting through it upright but this year there's so many more obstacles added in that unfortunately i'm sort of fearing that we could see a lot of the contenders or a lot of the race decided before we even get out of the first week which is not what anybody wants to see plus the nerves might even be they might be more nervous than normal because just looking at the start list, which we'll get to shortly, there's no one dominant sprint team here. So there's nobody who's going to be like leading, everyone looking towards for leading the pack. There's no like big super, uh, superstar names here, but no super superstar names here. So that I think Quickstep will take that up. I think Quickstep will take that. If you If you look at the way that that, that team is, is set up, it's like 70% lead out. <laughs> basically so i i think that quick step will probably take but it is the only one and at some point they may they may play a bit of chicken and, and try to get other teams to to really grab a hold of it plus i think you'll see things you'll, you'll see some of the gc teams try like they have in in recent years to to grab hold of dangerous moments uh and that will lend some some control to the whole thing but i think you're right Ron. i think this is this is one of the kind of most fraught opening weeks of the tour that we've seen in quite some time and that could be a really good thing it could be a, a fascinating first week and you could see we could see tons of battles and we could see riders lose time and gain time and all the rest or you could see someone fall down at Roubaix and break a wrist and be out like we did in 2014 with Chris Froome uh although he fell on a roundabout not the cobbles <laughs> still the cobbles were coming maybe he was just worried about them but let's continue here as you said ronan we we do a, a sort of brief stint in belgium some cat threes some cat fours we don't need to talk too much about stage six and then stage seven tom blaine to la super planche de belfi which is a well anybody who's watched the tour in recent years will know planche de belfi it, it's been used almost more often than than i think almost any other climb in the last like 10 years ago it seems, seems to be in, in every other edition and there's a reason for that. It, it one, it's very well placed within sort of the the map of France, right? It's, it's kind of out a little bit alone, big climb, but out away from the Alps, and it's gorgeous and it's a really beautiful spot and kind of sticks up, not quite like Mont Ventoux, but kind of sticks up a little bit out of nowhere and, and makes it a really a pretty stunning, pretty stunning climb and just a, like I said, a very well placed within the race to kind of add a bit of early or late or late drama. Johnny, what what are, what are uh, what are the details of this one? What are, what's the peloton got to tackle? So the start of stage seven, the first half rolls gently and eventually up to a category three climb, before another category three climb, the Col de Croix, and then it's the summit finish out the Super Planche de Belfi, where the steepest gradients, uh, the middle section gets up to around ten percent, and then. What did the, you find on the web, Ronan? My watch. Find something I did not ask it to look for. <laughs> Siri is listening uh, to the podcast as well. Um, yeah, the middle section gets up to around 10% and then it kicks again and the final ramp's above 12% near the finish line. So if it's all together and the break hasn't won the day, then hopefully someone tries to take it on and they don't just all ride, ride across the, the finish line saving their matches for another day. We're going to maybe see some, some roglification bonus second point fight again um the thing is after that opening week it, i guess it depends how that goes before if they're all, if they've already wiped and sort of it's been they've been someone's lost those seconds that will influence it but it does, it's a stage that looks primed for someone to have a go ronan it it's possibly a stage that yeah i think there will be some some sort of gc battle on it but like the last time we're super plans to belfi I think it was a breakaway stage, wasn't it? And it was um, the Italian writer who won a stage in the Giro recently, Giulio Ciccone, who took the yellow jersey behind Dylan Toons, who won the stage from the break, if I remember right. Uh, obviously, that wasn't the last time we are at Plans de Belfi because Pogaccia won his first tour there in a time trial two years ago. But this is super Plans de Belfi, so the very top section is, is gravel roads, incredibly steep, uh, and a... And a 
it was a breakaway stage the last time i can't remember the exact nature of the stage but you know coming so early in the race depending on what happens in that nervous first week it you know let's hope that there's no one team that already wants to control the tour de france because they've got such a commanding lead let's hope everybody's still in contention and there's you know a bit of gc hesitancy let's say um and that might free it up for for a break to sort of take the stage honors but it'll still be super interesting to see as the first true gc battle you know not not a cobbled gc battle or not a big bridge gc battle but an actual uphill battle that's that's what we that's what we'll be hoping for all that first week i think it'll be closer to like a leg opener one where people are going to be seeing where people are at rather than an actual battle it'll be i don't i can't see anybody going out of the way to try and make too much damage there because the next two stages are i would say more for more more for the breakaway riders rather than the GC riders because once you get past that week the, the next two stages and then into the next week that's when the GC legs are going to be put under strain so i reckon this one's like the first chance where the, the GC riders are going to be, yeah, seeing who's got it, who hasn't. I can't see there being anybody using it to make their assault on the GC. No, the, la- the last time we came here, it was all small gaps between yeah. the GC contenders. But that final kick to the line, the you know, it it did, it did bring out uh, Garen Thomas, if I remember right. He yeah. he was the best of the favourites the last time up and here. And was it's- it bad day had a bit of a. He, he slipped right back. He, he struggled up there. Possibly. So it, yeah. it's one of those that, you know, if, if you're going to be in contention for the tour, you will you have an opportunity to show your legs. Uh, of course, Bradley Wiggins was first set up as GC when on Plants de Belfi mm-hmm. as well. So it is it's challenging enough that if one team or, or decide if one team decides to, to really take it to the stage that they could. But I think you're right, Shotty, in that coming so early in the race, they might be more inclined just to, you know, look around at each other and rather not lose time than try to gain time. I do think that the the route organizers, Thierry Gouvenu, uh, I think that they they put stages on either side of it that were intended to make Planche de Belfi more likely to be a GC battle. So the stage before, the Belgian stage, is not particularly difficult, uh, barring weather or something like that. Like on paper, it's not particularly difficult. So it's a bit of a transition day, a bit of a, almost a rest day. So you're coming in with with pretty fresh legs, and then the day after, like Shadi said, is it really looks to me more like a more like a breakaway day. It's got a series of of categorized climbs in it, but they're cat fours, cat threes. It's an uphill finish actually into Luzen, but it's a cat three uphill finish. So basically, if you have halfway decent legs and you're a GC rider, you're probably not going to gain or lose any significant amount of time the day after Planche de Belfi. So I think the fact that they sandwiched it like that into two stages where frankly like there's probably not going to be a whole lot of gc movement or a whole lot of stress put on gc riders physical stress i think that that's purposeful and in the hope that planche de belfi becomes more important as a result but this is one of those perfect instances where you know the riders make the race right the the gouverneur can can set this up however he wants and if they decide that that they're all going to go tempo up a planche that's that's what's gonna happen so i think i think the you know it's probably impossible to predict at this moment because we don't know how the first week's gonna go but as for how that stage might go it will probably depend on just how long it takes for the breakaway to go if the break goes early on and is allowed to build a big gap then it will be it, it could turn into a more you know less of a gc battle and more of a stage one battle whereas if the break if it's like something we've seen in the Giro where there's two two and a half hours of racing at the start before a breakaway establishes itself. There, there just isn't going to be the time there for the break to establish a big enough advantage. And that then will naturally motivate the GC teams and riders to, you know, not take it a bit more seriously, but actually think about maybe the stage one uh, also, which if you want to go for the stage one, you need to make some sort of a move at some point, which could also turn into building a bit of an advantage in the GC. My Google Chrome has decided to automatically translate all the stages into English. Uh, so, Tom Blaine <laughs> to the beautiful girls' superboard, and <laughs> Eagle to Chatel the Gates of the Sun. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, Pl- I mean, Planche de Belfi is a very strange name. I, I think that when the time comes and we're closer to that, we'll talk a little bit about where that name comes from, and maybe, maybe uh, Jose Baines. Uh, 
little history bits, which will be in once our dailies start up on Thursday. Her little history bits will be in every single episode. I'm sure she'll talk about it a little bit, but it's a it's a weird name. The the plank of pretty ladies. It's a very it's a strange, very strange. Anyway, after after we finish in Porto Soleil, it well, we got a rest day and first sort of I guess real rest day of the Tour de France, even though there already will have been one, uh, which I don't even think we mentioned earlier. But you know, in the process of getting from Denmark down to France, there will be a, a day without any racing. Uh, the first Monday of, is it Monday? Yeah, it's Monday, yeah, and good luck to anybody who has to explain why they're going to Denmark for the start of the Tour de France to anybody <laughs> who doesn't closely follow <laughs> cycling, as I've had to do a couple of times this week. Yeah. And yes, then we do have an extra rest travel day built in because of that. Because the peloton love Lego, isn't it? That's <laughs> as simple as that. Then we've got a real rest day. A, a, a one that they're actually calling a rest day uh, before we kick off again on the 12th, beginning in Morzine and ending in Majev, which, wow, we're in the Alps now. Uh, let's let's sort of, I want to skip around a little bit here because we don't need to go stage by stage all the way through here. Well, let, let's, from here on out, we've, we've talked through in detail I think the first, what, 10 days or so. Uh, we're going to have plenty more time to to talking a lot more detail about each one of these stages as the race continues to happen. Let's touch on the big moments from the Alps and the big moments from the Pyrenees. What is the most important stage in the Alps? Do you guys think? I think it's Ooh. it's now frankly a, a bit of a tie between 11 and 12. Yeah. From, I think like there's going to be a few where people could like come out fighting and really catch people off guard like thinking oh this People are going to save the legs for tomorrow or the day after that. Because even uh, stage 11, it's a short one. Albertville to Glandon could be, it's that 152k. That could be really spicy. We've seen it. We've seen it before mm. at the Giro mm. where people think uh, it's people aren't going to go too hard. And then it was a stage that made the race. And this is another one that could actually make the race. You go full on for that stage and you're going to shell a lot of people from the word go because it's basically just uphill from the word go. Yeah, and, it, and it's the first of, of back-to-back days where they're going to cross over the Glibier. So yeah. that, that's that's going to be absolutely massive. I mean, yeah, you, you well, they've got the, those Lassettes de Montvernier, which is the, you've definitely seen photos of these. They're, it's probably one of the most photogenic set of switchbacks anywhere on the planet. You'll see those early in the stage. That's actually only a cat two, though. It's not particularly long. And then they drop down and they hit the Col de Telegraph. So they're doing the Galibier from the Telegraph side, which means that they, they do the Telegraph. It's a 12-kilometer climb, 7%. They only drop for, again, a couple minutes down yeah. to Valoir and then click back up all the way to the top of the Col de Galibier, which finishes up at, what, 2,600 meters? What's that in? 7,300 7, feet or so. Uh, it's it's super super high, and so some of the, well, some of the Colombians, for example, will will love this particular stage. They drop down off of that, and then it's the it's an ore category climb up to the finish. So it's an ore category uphill finish in Serre Chevalier, which, yeah, it's it's hard to look past the difficulty of this stage and how important it's going to be. Again, this is stage eleven we're talking about on the thirteenth until you look at stage twelve, which is Bastille Day, which is triplet treble of ore category category climbs from Briançon to mm. Alpe d'Huez another relatively short stage 165k they go back up and over the Glibier the opposite direction this time drop down and then drop down the telegraph quad affair and then finish on Alpe d'Huez at 165.1 kilometers these two days I think are going to define the Tour de France. They're hard enough, they're short enough, but there's enough climbing in them that they're, they're, these two days are going to define the Tour de France, I think. If I'm right in saying this, that's a, a direction we don't generally see that often, really. They do sort of hit it the opposite direction a lot of the time. And because that, the Galibier, that Galibier side's an absolute drag. It's a real drag. And then the descent back down is really fast down to. To, to the base of the Quad de Fer. And through the Quad de Fer is just, yeah, it's going to be a real interesting day. We're finishing our Alpe d'Huez, as everybody knows. Hey. The iconic climb, but it's them two climbs before where there's going to be some real damage done, I reckon. 
So that side of the Galibier, I think that some might remember uh, back in the Cadell Evans, Andy Schleck era. Schleck actually took a bunch of time on that particular side of the Glibier and, and Evans. The, the issue with that side of it is it doesn't squiggle around quite as much. It basically just sort of heads straight up this valley yeah. and doesn't start to switch back on itself until right near the top, which means the wind can have a dramatic impact on the way that that, that side of the, of the climb is raced. Because if you've got a headwind, it holds everything together. And it's got a tailwind, it really blows everything apart. Uh, or in, in the case of the, the Schleck-Evans battle, it was a headwind, but Schleck got a bit of a gap, and all of a sudden, Cadell Evans found himself essentially towing a group of favorites, trying to, to pull Andy Schleck back over the course of the 17 kilometers or 20 kilometers or whatever it was over, over the Galibier. It, it's a totally brutal climb, but again, it largely comes down to generally the direction of the wind and what that can do it's it's very exposed it's 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 like i said can be very windy in that valley it's going to be an absolutely massive day where honestly if, if we could see we it could be one of those days where where we get long range gc attacks i think because again it all depends on the on the on the wind direction really but if there's going to be particularly like in tailwinds in these valleys you could hold a gap there's there's no there's no benefit to being in a large group on either of these stages there's very little flat road there's a bit of flat road on the way toward Altuez at the very end of stage 12 but that's pretty much it the quad de fer up the quad de fer it just keeps on pulling keeps on pulling it doesn't relent at all like you get a little bit of a rest and it kicks in again and it kicks in again it's an it's a it's a horrible climb that one so those two are obviously the big ones in the Alps. Uh, the stuff that's over over near Switzerland, I think it's going to be important. You know, the the, and the, the, the pre rest day stages they're going to be important. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's I mean, well, it's not even honest with ourselves. Those two stages are massive. They are they're exactly I think what the sort of modern Tour de France mountain stage wants to be. They're no longer 200k. They're no longer 215k. They're 150, 160, multiple giant climbs. It should be. It should be great start to finish, basically, both of those days. If we skip ahead to the Pyrenees, there's a number of really interesting kind of breakaway stages in between here that go from the Alps down to the Pyrenees. We've got, you know, a finish in Saint-Étienne. We've got a, a really interesting sort of uphill finish in Monde, which I don't even believe that finish. No, it is. It's a Cat 2, actually. Uh, but nonetheless, these are probably days where, here we go, I'm going to donate another euro. The race can only be lost. It cannot really be won. If we skip ahead to the next stages where this race can actually be won, the next big one is probably all the way at stage 16 or 17, I would say. Yeah, 16, you've got um, the descent down into Foix after a couple of first category climbs in the final 50 kilometers or so. And then the stage 17 is up the Perigud which is in the final half of that race, three category one and one category two. And yeah, I mean, after those, you get those days off after the Alps to transition across. And then I guess that's where the GC battle is decided, unless we have any more time trial shockers or whatever happened there. Um, we'll, we'll get into the TT. It's a long TT. <laughs> so uh, nothing is nothing is decided here until we get to the very end. But yeah. I reckon people will be saving their powder for the, the Lord Hortecam stage in yeah. the Pyrenees. That's Agreed. where the things are going to be really lit up. Like, that's that, yeah. The Hortecam, again, another horrible climb. Just keeps going and going and going. You think you're there and you're not. It's that's they've got the old beast to go over beforehand as well. There's two whole, uh, whole category climbs that day, include and a first cat climb separating the two of them. 143k that is that's going to be the one where it, the things are going to be decided before that final tt yeah and you know that that how to come stage as well has over four thousand meters of climbing in on. 143k that's like a, a, a under 23 <laughs> g-roll stage <laughs> yes uh well actually the two stages that we mentioned the alps in particular had four thousand and four and a half thousand in the same distance so over close to an everesting in two stages uh, huge amount of climbing but that that lords to how to come stage in particular 4,000 meters of climbing uh, across 143 kilometers but on Pyrenean roads with those climbs as well so you know 
that mountain climbing would be difficult. 140k in the mountains is going to be difficult, yeah. but on Pyrenean roads, which are notoriously sort of dead and draggy, yeah, draggy. It's it's going to be uh, it's going to be the stage. That I think a lot of GC favourites are, or anybody up in the GC fight actually is going to be sort of keeping one eye on for that. You know, all the way through the Pyrenees until that point, and for that reason, I think the two stages before that. You know, obviously we're talking three weeks down the road from when we're sitting here now, so very hard to predict anything, but they could very easily become sort of, you know, days for a breakaway stage one and days for the GC riders to, you know, watch each other and, and make sure they don't lose any time uh, as they sort of save themselves for that for that Howdy Camp stage. That, the climb up to Howdy Camp, I don't, I don't think you can overstate how difficult a climb that is. It's, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> it's just, the like you say, the roads around there just drag. and it, it, There's no spring to it. There's nowhere where it just eases up and lets you put the power down and sort of gives you Unless that bit of Unless you're Bjorn Reese in the big ring, but... Yeah, we won't, <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> it's also it's also south-facing with very little tree cover. And so for the riders who do not do well in the heat, it is a potential landmine for them. It is... I, I wrote it once. Uh, we got to the press room early down at the base of the climb. I can't even remember what the stage was. This is years ago now. And I realized that we were right across the valley from the Hodakam, and, and I was like, ah, oh, I got to go, got to go ride it. Had my little travel bike, rode up. It was probably thirty-five degrees, thirty-three degrees that day, and it was miserable, <laughs> absolutely miserable. And so, the the heat is absolutely going to be a a factor, I think, on that particular day. Obviously, if it's hot, uh, but th- th- that climb above above most is is going to be a real issue. Again, no. No real tree cover to speak of, uh, and south facing, and just it, you just bake, you just absolutely bake. One little bit of consolation for Pogaccia, who doesn't like the heat. Uh, the one time that I rode the most of the Howdy Camp, we didn't do it all because we we rode out for a pre race leg opener spin the day before the Tour de Pyrenees, and then oh, there's the Howdy Camp, we should ride a bit of that. And when we got about halfway or three quarters of the way up, we thought. We shouldn't write about this because we're doing a race tomorrow. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the bottom, it was sunshine, glorious day, really warm. But within halfway up this climb, we were already in the mist, in rain, freezing cold. It was just so different from from down in Lourdes, you know, not that far away. So, uh, from my memory of that climb, at least, is that the, the weather can be very changeable the further up y- you get. I've raced on like it. Like anything here, in the mountains. Yeah, it, yeah, the Pyrenees can change just like that. I was only over there uh, a month and a half ago. And yeah, w- one side, I was like, I didn't go up the whole camera, I went up the, let me think, what was that? I went up um, the one next to it. Anyway, yeah, climbed up there. This, the on the French side, crap weather. And then tipped over the top, descended down into Spain, blistering sunshine. It's just, yeah, it can be one or the other. I look forward to that one. That uh, you're, you guys are absolutely correct. That that is the key of the Pyrenees. I think that the, you know, potentially the GC kicks off again when we're when we're talking about that stage sixteen into Foix. That that descent is is kind of tricky, but the Hodakam stage is it's the big one. Uh, we're staying in Lords that that night. Actually, I did that just so you could all experience Lords if you hadn't done that yet. So, but it sounds like you guys are all. You're all seen it anyway. Yeah, here we are. I'll ask, Johnny, I'll ask you, been... you guys a question that I asked last time I was in Lords. I asked all the riders, got some interesting questions. If cycling was a religion, because obviously being in Lords, if cycling was a religion, who would be, who would be the big dog, the god, the Buddha, the the the, the, the leader? Who would who would be the one that you look up to and pray to? <laughs> uh, I I have been to Lords. I was brought up very Catholic. Uh, ah. So it might bring back some some memories, let's say. Some yeah, but that's not the answer. Who's it going to be? <laughs> well, I, I can answer because I'm reading the book God is Dead at the moment, and God in that book was Frank Vandenbroek. So that strange, strange pick, perhaps, given yeah. everything we know now. But uh, Tom Tom Averkler? really? I don't oh. know. <laughs> that's <laughs> worse <laughs> than my pick. I think if you're going to choose a god, you want to choose, you know. You, a nice friendly one. Yeah. You want a benevolent. You want a benevolent God. I think you're going to ask us to choose a God, Charlie. You need to give us a bit of like warning beforehand so we can think about it. Yeah, I don't want to be making that choice on a whim. <laughs> hey, I asked the pros on the whim, and they give me some good answers. Yeah. 
surprisingly, not many said. To- <laughs> um, there was a lot of Tom Boonans. There was not many um, Mercs, and then a lot of them said, "Me team leader, so I can uh, uh. stay in his good books." <laughs> well, we'll be back. Uh, it's a it's a really interesting place for those who have no idea what we're talking about. It's a it's a pilgrimage site. Um, and with some springs, well, Johnny, you're, if you, you were raised Catholic, you probably know better than I. I was technically raised Catholic, but not so much anymore. Uh, some springs and some healing powers. And so there's a, there's a fair amount of sort of pilgrimage that happens. Uh, folks who want to go be healed by the waters, et cetera, et cetera, which makes it a fascinating place to have a bike race. Yeah. And there's a buffalo grill. And there's a buffalo grill, so we can eat late. That's very important. Moving on, that's the Pyrenees. We've got we've got two sort of pretty good stages, and then one that is crazy, and then we're on to the time trial. I've got a I've got a good little factoid about stage nineteen. Um, the final they finish in Cahors, where there's a castle uh, which was once owned by the Danish royal family. So that's quite a nice sort of tying together of the tour by the organizers. And I really, I like that sort of continuity storytelling from from all of them lot. I like it a lot. There we go. So now you know there is a Danish Danish <laughs> castle at the finish of stage 19, followed by the final time trial. Now this is a pretty long time trial. This is a 40.7 kilometer time trial, which for you know the top, top riders is gonna take what, 40? Six minutes or something like that. What's a what's a fast forty k these days, Ronan? Oh yeah. Well, this course is pretty much palm flat, if I remember right. Two four k. It actually it's slightly downhill. It actually loses elevation. It starts at three hundred eighty nine meters and it finishes at two fifty eight. Yes. Well, they are going to do that exceptionally fast. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Probably somewhere you know around the forty five minute mark, I guess, for the favorites. You know that's. Certainly a sub-50 is, is possible these days for a 40-kilometer time trial. 40-kilometer time trials happen to be the, for anybody who's not into time trialing, happen to be the sort of standard distance for... Uh, the UK senior Yeah, 10s and trials. 25s, and of course a 25-miler is a 40k TT. So if this one is on average downhill, um, and they're already doing them in sub-50 minutes in the UK time trial scene, uh, yeah. Who knows what we're going to see here? It's going to be it's going to be pretty damn fast. And then again, another one for the time trial specialists or the you know the every stage specialists like White Van Art who won last year's final time trial. Um, but it remains to be seen, of course, which of the GC favourites will be up in that battle. And I think placing a time trial this long towards the end of the race really could go either way. You know, I guess the idea is to sort of entice the climbing specialists into being more aggressive in the Alps and Pyrenees. But, you know, there, there's one guy who's won the last Tour de France, two Tour de France, who happens to be one of the best climbers and also happens to be one of the best time trials. So this could just end up with, um, uh, yeah, I'm not even going to go there, but this could end up just being, you know, another sort of, uh, nail in the coffin for anybody else who had any sort of GC ambitions in this race. A, a processional stage before the processional stage. Yes, that was <laughs> exactly the kind of way I was paying the favour back for Thank the uh, <laughs> peninsula earlier. Ah, <laughs> uh, that would be unfortunate, but you know we can we can hope that it's still tight at this point. We you never know. The Tour de France is the Tour de France. We we always think we can predict these things, and we never can. And if it is tight, of course, you know the last time we had a gone into the penultimate stage and the you know the final time trial two years ago between the two slovenian superstars it wasn't even that tight and we still had an incredible final time trial uh, and if we have anything similar going into this time trial you know just the thought of that time trial that we had two years ago is going to be enough to make this exciting at least in in the build-up to it I think the nice thing about this year's route, one, one, my main memory from last year's tour was after the stage five time trial, Richard Moore turned around and, was, and when, when Pog came through and sort of smashed all the other GC riders, he just turned around and was like, oh, well, that's, that's the tour, that's the tour done. And he was saying, oh, I'm not worried about this year's race, I'm worried about the next five. Um, but the nice thing about this year's route is that there seems to be much more trepidation after even the first week. Like, it, like last year, I think after that stage five, it was like, right, Pog will have, really have to blow up but i think this one has more 
there's more more traps to it maybe and i think there's enough sort of you know household name climbs and stages as well that you know there's always something to look forward to whereas going into last year's tour it, it you know obviously there were some there were some pretty big stages there but there was nothing really or the, it wasn't as jam-packed as this year's is with the Alpe d'Huez, with a How to Come, with a Roubaix stage, with, you know, there's so, so much throughout this year's route. That Double Galibier. Double Galibier, yeah. Yeah, there's there's enough there that no matter how commanding a lead someone might take earlier on, there's there's still going to be some sort of hope that uh, there's there's enough racing left in, in the Tour to, to make it an exciting one, which I th- I was going to say I think it will be, but I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. Don't jinx it, Ronan. No. Don't jinx it. It will. It will be a good Tour de France. Let's be honest. Even yeah. Even average Tour de France are a great watch, and I I cannot wait. I've been I've been just the stoke has been building up for this thing for for weeks for me now, and I can't wait to hit the ground. See all you guys. Uh, but yeah, I'm just I'm just excited for the excited for the race to start at this point. Let's briefly. Let's talk contenders here. Now, maybe the place to kick off is, is with the big news that, that, that came out this morning, which is that Mark Cavendish is not on the eight-man roster for Quick Step. What? This is, I've yeah, been on, I've been on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this new. Nah, dude. Um, I'm breaking news for you, Shadi. Uh, Fabio Jakobsen will be the sprinter for that team at the race, which I, I wrote a story about this this morning. I think you can make some very intelligent arguments for why that makes a lot of sense. Jakobsen is, is probably a, sort of objectively a better sprinter at this point in time. He's won 10 races or something already this year, but he's never raced a Tour de France. And Cav, on the other side, is is tied for the most stage wins ever. And frankly is proven he's proven that he can win tour stages so i personally think this is a bit of a miss for quick step in that if anything happens to to jacobson if 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 he falls ill if he gets covid if he has a little tumble if he just doesn't have good legs that team the way that it is structured at the moment just doesn't have any other real options they've got like eve lampart and and maybe casper asgreen uh who could, who could do something at the Roubaix stage or asgreen could do something in the opening time trial that would take a huge amount of the pressure off, probably. But the rest of the team is basically stage hunters. It, you know, it's it's Honore and, and it's Bagioli and guys that if they win a stage, it would be incredible. But the chances are actually relatively low of that. And so I, they're putting all their eggs in the, in the Fabio basket. And that feels like a bold thing to me. Well, especially when you don't have world champion Julian Alaphilippe either. I think that's missing both of them. That's the that's their two biggest guys alongside Remco Evenepoel. And yeah. with, but I, I like, and when we were chatting about it earlier, what Jose was saying, like, oh, well, you know, we are looking at it from like the English speaking point of view where Cav sort of dominates everything. And she was like, oh, well, from the sort of Belgian Dutch side, like, Jakobsen is, is equally big a story with his comeback. So I think we do, we do look at it through that vein just because Cav is such a magnet for everything tour related. And, you know, last year he's winning green jerseys and four stages, but he's also slamming his bike down and having a hissy fit outside the team bus. Like he, like he does it all. But the French public... <laughs> endless, endless stories. The French public no Cav. It's the, yeah, dirty, dirty the French public no Cav. Like he's, he is a superstar in France and like, well, any of the quick step riders that are rocking up, it's, it's either Cav... Or Philippe for, for the for the French, they're the, they're the star riders in that s- setup. So not sending Cav is yeah, it's a big thing for the French riders, French, the French public, not just the British uh, or English speaking public. I would have said. I, th- I think obviously uh-huh. you know part of the consideration here is that they didn't want to bring two sprinters to the one race, as the Fevre has said quite often throughout this year. But as I think it was you mentioned there, Katie, or maybe it was uh, Johnny with with. No, with Philippe being out now, you know that that's a big hole in the Quick Step roster that presumably the Forever wasn't predicting when he said we were we're not going to bring two sprinters to the Tour de France. And then when you look around the rest of the Tour as well, it's not the 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 biggest sprint field that we've ever seen. Like it's not it's not it, there's not huge depth uh, depth in the number of you know top class sprinters coming to this race. And I think that's where. It was sort of a win-win to take Cavendish, even if they took him 
and said, "Here, look, you're on there. You're on your own for every finish." Uh, or if you know Kevin disagreed that the first two sprint stages are completely dedicated to Jakobsen or whatever the agreement could have been, just bring him to the race is already going to give Quick Step as much sort of coverage for their sponsors as arguably anybody else on that roster winning a stage. Yeah, uh, and, and that's that's what I sort of as I'm not the world's biggest Mark Cavendish fan. Um, you know, I, I wasn't hoping to see him win more and more stages this year. I, I'm sort of I'm indifferent to whether that happens or not. But when I didn't see him on the start list, when he when it turned out today that he's not on the start list, I, th- I did think that that was a bit of a you know obviously can't say a mistake because these people know what they're doing a heck of a lot better than I do. But I just I find it very surprising. That's probably the best way to say it. As we've said, the tour is a it's a mark in uh, a sponsor's dream in it, and you send you send your dream sponsor team. If you're not a GC team, I would have said personally. Like we said last 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 uh, episode, if if it wasn't a marketing a race for marketing, you would send a completely different team in in this in the the form of when we were talking about Israel Startup Nation wanting points. They 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 would not send. They'd send yeah, send through me here and then send um, Woods elsewhere throughout the the tour to collect the points but as we say it is a race for sponsors so you yeah you send cav for the sponsorship money because quick step need it this year they didn't have a great mm-hmm. classics campaign at all they've not had a great season at all if, if the team does not get at least one win there's going to be massive questions asking i'm i'm with this chaotic first week as well i'm with any you know opening stage sprints in the tour de france there is that risk there for the sprinter to crash which we've seen with caleb ewing last year and you know, it ended up it pretty much upset Lotto's entire Tour de France because they built the whole team around Caleb Ewan. You could easily see the same thing happen quick step this year. And, you know, again, when that space for Al Philippe opens up because Al Philippe can't race, presumably due to his injuries from Liege, it seems like again a one one situation where you put in Cavendish, you know, on the off chance that Jakobsen has a, a spill or something or whatever might happen that at least you're sort of safeguarding a if you're bringing a dedicated sprint team, you have a space opened up to safeguard against what happened Lotto last year when they brought a dedicated sprint team. Right, Alperson last year, they came with two sprinters and did absolutely wonders. They did, but they they won one stage, but then they quickly fell into this position where they couldn't seem to beat Cavendish. And arguably both sprinters on their day could beat Cavendish, but it seemed to be that they had whether it was divided loyalties or not quite on the same hem sheet because neither of them was a lead-out rider, they ended up second to Mark Cavendish quite often after that, if I remember right. And I just wonder, you know, and again, I'm just plugging this out of this guy right now, but I just wonder, had they had a, you know, that, and I'm contradicting myself right now, <laughs> but had they had a one-sprinter team, would they maybe have been yeah. Yeah. better equipped to take it to Cavendish last year? But I don't think it changes what we think for Quick Step this year. The big change for me is when Al Fleet was out, that yeah. removed the you know that you're effectively having nine riders then because you assume in any other year Al Fleet takes a position, and this year when he's out, it's like well if Cavendish was fighting for the last spot, the last spot has just opened up. Surely that has to be his now. And when it wasn't, again I was hugely surprised by that. Not that I'm racking my brain too hard, but I can't think of any team in the recent history who have turned up to the Tour de France with. Not the, the the not the rider that had the green jersey last year or had a jersey, Kingdom Mountains jersey, whatever. Um, right. Quick step last year, First left Sam Bennett at home. Fair enough, <laughs> yes. Good. And Boris. Yeah, so, yeah. And I'm not laughing at them leaving Sam Bennett at home because that was highly frustrating for me at the time. I'm laughing just because it was the same team, did the exact same thing last year. And you could argue, I guess, what goes around comes around because... You know, Cavendish obviously had no small part to play in that last year. And, yeah, and that, that, that sort of harmony in the team bus, I think, and like imagining what it would be like on on the road once they're all there and trying to balance Jakobsen and Cav on a day to day basis surely has to come into it. You know, Cav ain't no wallflower, and he's not going to lie down and be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate, don't worry, I'll I'll lead you out today. Yeah, agree. That's not how you win thirty four tour stages. I think that's what they. I think that's what they're worried about, right? Uh, you know, I think in theory you go to them and you say, Cav, you got, you're in this team. 
guess what? You're pulling lead. You're pull, you're, you're you're with Tim DeClerc half the time. <laughs> yeah. You're like pulling around. You're gonna go sit in the front of the field for yeah. a while, but we're gonna give you like one or two shots, right? There's there's five sprint stages, maybe six, but probably five in this race. You get two of them, and Jakobsen gets three, right? And neither of them are gonna be particularly happy about that. But Jakobsen, if if you're Jakobsen, it's your first ever Tour de France. Okay, three is better than zero. And if you're Cav, you've got two shots to to break the record, right? And he's going to be hyper motivated, and he's fit. He just won his own national championship, like out of a small group. He's he's really fit right now. I think not he could have done not it, just and that's what's going to get him more was than it anything. A breakaway for what, 180k or something. Yeah, he was, he was nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird so, one. So he's you know he's got the legs at the moment, and I think that that's that's what will piss him off more than anything is like. If he didn't think he could win a stage, he probably wouldn't mind so much. But so I think he he could have. He could have won. He could have beat Has the record. Has Mark Cavendish ever thought he couldn't win a stage? <laughs> I think there were a couple of years there where he where he was basically anonymous, right? I mean, he was he was pretty crap for for like three I'm seasons there. Sure, he when probably he, he still had, believed. Probably, probably, yeah. So you what, know, what when, he, when he had what, Epstein year? Barr and yeah. But anyway. I I think the general consensus among this group, and you know, there's definitely kind of a, an Anglo-Dutch-Belgian split, like you alluded to, Johnny. But I think at the end of the day, you know, in terms of like broader Tour de France audience, mm. Cav is a bigger draw, and I think that the, so from from a publicity standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I genuinely think from a tactical standpoint, that it's a miss for exactly what you were talking about, Ronan, and what I wrote in the story this morning, which was they had the spot. They gave it to a guy. They get, like, they've got a couple guys in that roster who aren't lead-out men. They're climbers, and they're essentially there to try to snag a, a, a cheeky stage win out of a breakaway. And those are really hard to get. Mm. They are incredibly hard to get. You know, Tom's friend of the podcast here, uh, partner of the podcast, really, <laughs> actually. <laughs> He's been trying for a Tour de France stage win for a very long time, and he is very good at this sort of thing, and he has not yet gotten one, right? It takes not just amazing legs, but a huge amount of luck. Get the right move on the right day with the right group. Get let go. Still have the legs. It takes so much. For me, for just from just a straight numerical odds perspective, they're way more likely to get a stage win out of Cav than they will be out of any of the climbers that they brought. Just to to bring a bit of balance here, I, I will say, if we no, no, we don't do that here. <laughs> if we flip this around a bit, you could have you you, you could have Casper Asgreen won the opening time trial, Eve Lampard won the Roubaix stage. Both of those are very practical things that could happen. Uh, Bagioli is an exceptionally good bet for any of those sort of medium mountain stages. He has a you know fantastic sprint on him, and I would not be surprised to see him take a stage one. And Jakobsen, you know, with five sprint opportunities. You, you got to put them down for one. Yeah. They they could walk away from this tour, one of their one of their best ever. Like so, yeah. I guess you know the we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. But I kind of it's it's surprising that you know last year I really didn't think Cavendish should have went and he ended up winning so many stages. And this year I kind of have just come to the realization that I thought he should have went and <laughs> he yeah. It's just uh, what goes around comes around again. The the thing about what you just said though, Ronan, is that. All of that could still happen with Cav on the roster, except for maybe Bagioli, right? Or but you could you could you could you could swap out Honore or something yeah. like that, right? I, think I mean there there were options to make all of that work with Cav on the roster. And I think that I think that a lot like the real thing is here. We're rationalizing what we want to see, which is the narrative around this is just so good. Mm. And we just want to see it happen, right? We want to we want to see him at least given the opportunity to do so, and the fact that he's not, I think, for for Anglo fans and Anglo reporters, we're just a bit annoyed about it. Like it, it feels like it could have happened, and it was sort of taken away from not just us, but taken away from the Tour de France. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we're just sort of working backwards from that position and trying to justify justify it. Which we're allowed to do. I want to be clear. Know, I think that that's the reality here. I, I want to be clear. I'm I'm not angry or disappointed. I I, I don't know where I stand on this. <laughs> I'm completely complete. <laughs> I can't decide yet. I I think it comes down. I like good stories, and this yeah. is a good story. It comes down to the fact that Cav is box office, and increasingly, as we uh, you know, as the years go by, there are less and less 
not just professional cyclists but sports people who are box office at the same level yeah i think that that's a big part of it right well i think that's enough that's enough calf chat uh sprinter chat etc we've just made the game time decision here while making this podcast that basically the route took us too long and you guys have the first of our daily podcasts kicking off on thursday we use that as the sort of gc contender discussion because in addition we will have pippa york alongside you who will have some incredible insight i think with that we're gonna call it i think for today like i said earlier make sure you go join cycling tips big yellow bike race fantasy league there's links all over the cyclingtips.com homepage make sure that you've got that homepage bookmarked do people bookmark stuff anymore i don't know you should bookmark it yeah yeah, bookmark it. Bookmark it for the Tour de France. Make sure you're checking every morning. We're going to have a ton of excellent, excellent content. Ronan's on the ground. Johnny's on the ground. Shoddy's on the ground. I show up on Tuesday. Ian is coming across all the way from Australia later in the race. We've got Pippa on the podcast. It's going to be an awesome month of Tour de France. And then, and then it keeps going with the Tour de France Femme. We're going to have Amy Jones on the ground at the Tour de France Femme. We're going to have Matt Deneef on the ground at the Tour de France Femme. We're going to have daily podcasts every single day from the Tour de France Femme. It's going to be just the best month of bike racing you've ever seen. With that, check back in on Thursday. We'll be back with the first of the dailies with none other than Shoddy Dave hosting. Oh, I'm not there. man. <laughs> be warned. Be warned. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be great it'll be the most entertaining podcast you guys have ever experienced check it out thursday thanks for listening everybody bye-bye